4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're beginning to wind down our study that we've been in the last 10 weeks or so, the subject of the power of suffering. Last week we started in chapter 4 of 1 Peter, talking about dealing well with suffering. We've looked at all of these examples of people in the Bible who experienced some measure of persecution, some measure of suffering, and how God in His uh, sovereignty used it for His glory, for their good, how they learned lessons from it, how God gave them grace to walk through it. And since we've seen all of these examples, now we come time to the application for us. How do we deal with it? Dealing well with suffering. And we talked about last week that dealing well with suffering means that, first of all, we've got to keep the right attitude concerning it. And we talked about how it's, we, we all understand this. When our attitude isn't right about something, uh, we have a hard time dealing rightly with particular things. Well, having the right attitude regarding Suffering or even persecution means that we have to keep the right perspective about it. And we've got to be spiritually minded concerning it. Which also means that in order to be keeping the right perspective and to be spiritually minded, we need to be applying the Word of God in our life. And, and we talked about, as we introduced this idea, the primary question that we need to ask ourselves as we think about the possibility of trials in life, the possibility of, of persecution, uh, the possibility of even suffering on whatever level it is, the thing that we need to ask ourselves is how will we react? We're going to either react positively with a spiritual mind or we're going to act fleshly and poorly. And we looked at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19 as our text, and we only got halfway through because we said we were going to look at four different things uh, to help keep the right perspective or the right attitude in dealing with suffering, that we can deal with it well. We said, first of all, uh, that we shouldn't be surprised by it. Secondly, we need to rejoice in it. Thirdly, evaluate it. And fourthly, trust God in it. And all of those are found in this text. Look at verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God Commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. We said, first of all, the first thing that helps us keep the right perspective or attitude 
in dealing with suffering is, is, is to, first of all, not be surprised by it. Don't be surprised by it. Verse 12, uh, Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. That phrase, think it not strange, it means surprise, but it carries the meaning of being in denial. It's surprise with confusion is what it's talking about. And this is the first attitudinal component that helps us through tough times, is to understand that we are fallen people in a fallen world, and it ought to be reasonable uh, to not be surprised when trouble shows up, because the Bible says in Job 5-7 that man is born into trouble as sparks fly upward. The whole context of 1 Peter is Peter talking to saints of God in the context of persecution and its inevitability, meaning that it's, it's going to come. And so the thought is, and the Word of God tells us, to not be surprised. 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 1 John 3.13, Marvel not, brethren, if the world hates you. So don't be surprised by it. And the application was that the Christ-like life of a believer, when our words and our actions are Christ-like, it testifies against an un ungodly world, and it should be expected then to result in a backlash from an offended, unbelieving world. Now, it doesn't always happen, and it's not always God's will that people would suffer persecution, but it shouldn't be surprised if and when it does come, because Jesus said that is part of a life, uh, the life of discipleship, taking up your cross, following the Lord, part of being a disciple. The world is going to hate you. And so... Peter says, don't be surprised, don't be confused, as though some strange thing happened unto you. That word strange thing, it means a foreign occurrence. And the idea is this, Peter is saying that we should not be surprised by suffering as if it was something that was just merely by chance or randomness. If it comes, it won't be random and it won't be arbitrary in the will of God. God has a purpose in it. And it should be a part of a life to be anticipated for one who is an obedient follower of Christ. So don't be surprised by it. Secondly, we looked at verse 13. Rejoice in it. Verse 13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be approached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And so we looked at the fact that we ought to rejoice in trouble, in suffering, in persecution. And, and that's a hard thought, a hard pill to swallow if we think of it in terms of, um, so when we're experiencing the, the worst possible thing that could ever happen in life, we're supposed to be happy and joyful about it. That's what the word rejoice means. It means to be full of cheer, to be calmly happy. So we're supposed to be calmly happy and rejoicing in, in persecution or suffering and the, maybe the worst possible thing in life. Well, we need to understand this principle. Peter's not saying to be cheerful or to rejoice at the mere fact of persecution itself. In fact, the physical nature of persecution is something that the Christian should regret. One commentator said this, It should be to him a source of great grief 
that men and women, because of sin and because they are so dominated by Satan, should behave in such an inhumane and devilish manner. The Christian is, in a sense, one who must feel his heart breaking at the effect of sin in others that makes them behave like this. And that's true. It ought to break our heart, the effect of sin that causes people to be acting and behaving in such an inhumane way. What Peter is saying is that our rejoicing is not connected with the pain, with the difficulty, or the suffering itself, but rather the ramification of it. Because he says in the very next phrase, Rejoice, but inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. That phrase, inasmuch, it it means in proportion to. So he says you rejoice in that in proportion to the fact that you are a partaker in the sufferings of Christ. The reason we would rejoice is that we're privileged to share in the same kind of suffering that the Lord Jesus endured for our sake. Only we get to do it for his sake. There's more incentive because he says in the last part of verse 13, When his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. When his glory shall be revealed, is talking about the return of Christ. The phrase glad with exceeding joy literally means to be well off or to jump for joy. And there seems to be a special kind of rejoicing or something special for the Christian who faithfully accepts persecution or suffering as Christ did, so that when Christ returns, that saint is going to be well off and really jump for joy. But then he says in verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Why? Because the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And we talked about this in more... It means more than just the general, every saint of God has the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. It means more than that. The word resteth means to refresh. And he talks about the spirit of glory. That word means dignity or with dignity. And so Peter's talking about here the Spirit of God, a refreshing of the Spirit of God for the one who is reproached for the name of Jesus Christ. It seems there's a special refreshing of God's Spirit on the one who is, who is particularly suffering because of Christ, a special measure, a special enabling for him that he can endure that suffering with dignity. We looked at Stephen when he was stoned for preaching Christ and how in the middle of all of that suffering, Stephen's heart was that God would not lay this sin to their charge. These who were persecuting him, he actually loved them in return. And he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. How was Stephen able to act the way that he did Because the Spirit of God refreshed him, taking over, becoming the dominant power in his life to lift him above that agony and that suffering. That's something we don't know about in America. We've never had to face that kind of persecution or suffering to where those words that Peter says are a reality in our own life. But throughout the centuries, 
In church history, many saints have endured that kind of persecution and martyrdom. And they know the realities of Peter's words. The only explanation we can give for the composure and the fortitude and suffering and the suffering of Stephen and many others, remember we used Thomas Cranmer being burned at the stake as, a, as an illustration of the grace and the, the Spirit of God in a man's life. The only explanation we can give is that the Spirit of glory or dignity of God rested on them, lifting them above that physical pain. And the, the application was, listen, the same Spirit is available to us. We so often don't respond very well when things get hard. Hard for us. You know, our petty problems in reality, maybe problems with other people, little nitpicks here and there, things that annoy us, things that bother us, Maybe somebody's being unkind to us. We don't often respond very well to that. That's not persecution. <laughs> That's not really suffering. And we have a hard time responding well to that. You understand what I'm saying? The Spirit of God can give an extra measure of His grace, a special refreshing that is unique. If we're reproached for the name of Christ, he promises that we'll not walk alone. He gives grace that is unique to that suffering. And so that's what we talked about last week. And the next two, the last two, we'll cover this afternoon. The third and necessary element to a right attitude in responding well to suffering is, is to thirdly evaluate it. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. What I mean by evaluating the suffering is to ask God for discernment, to understand the suffering's purpose and how it contributes to placing us in the center of His will. Like, what am I going through in this life right now? How does this suffering contribute to putting me in the center of God's will? That's not something that we should overlook. We'll talk about this in just a second. But, but first of all, I want you to understand this principle. According to verse 15, not all suffering is because of the Lord's will. You see that in verse 15 where he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as busybodies in other men's matters. Not all suffering, not all persecution, not all of it that we would experience is because of the Lord's will. Peter says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer. Those, those first three are pretty obvious. The word evildoer here means a general criminal. You know, don't, don't be accused or don't end up suffering because you're a murderer or you're a thief or you're just a criminal in general, okay? That's going to bring about some suffering in your life. But don't, don't, be, don't be suffering because of that. The fourth one requires a little bit more scrutiny as it relates to suffering and persecution. He says here in verse 15, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Now, 
That requires us to look a little bit deeper at this one here as it relates to suffering and persecution. The word busybody itself, it means a meddler, okay? But in this particular context, when I looked this up, it was like, oh, that's actually really interesting. When I looked up what the meaning of the word was, it means a meddler, but it's specifically relating to being a meddler in Gentile customs. And that's an interesting thought. Some believe, and it seems to fit contextually here, that this is referring to suffering because of political agitation like a revolutionary type or activity that's like it. Meaning that that Christian people ought not to be suffering because of, 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 uh, of bringing on suffering themselves because of some sort of political agitation or, or some type of revolutionary type activity. Like, for example, you know, recently the, the, the Capitol uh, building seizure or whatever you want to call that when people stormed the Capitol building and, and, and just recently, I don't know if you saw the story, in the news, but that, that couple in Homer, the FBI raided their house and broke down their door thinking that they had stolen Nancy Pelosi's laptop because they were part of the, of the, uh, the, the seizure or the Capitol storming and all of that. It's a whole story. Go read it. Turns out to be a case of mistaken identity, but they got their door kicked in because they were there. Now, just being part of that, just being there at that protest uh, in Washington, D.C. isn't necessarily you know, a problem or, or, or what Peter would be talking about. But you know what? It probably is wrong and would be wrong for a born-again Christian, a believer, to be so caught up in, that, in all of that that they get swept up into the tide and they're storming the capital themselves, rioting, looting, stealing, thieving, whatever. Political agitation. And guess what? You're going to get caught up in that. You might feel the ramifications of it. You might experience some suffering because of it. That's not the job of a Christian. The group like the Westboro Baptist, yeah, I'll say it out loud, who go and picket at the death of a service member, a military man who died serving our country, and they're there with their picket signs. They're saying that this is the judgment of God on you, and you deserve this. Listen, listen, they might feel some persecution and some ramifications of their activities. And while they should, that's not the job of a Christian. Peter says, don't, don't find yourself suffering because of criminal activity or don't find yourself suffering because you're involved in some sort of political agitation being a busybody in gentile customs that's what he's talking about if they experience persecution or suffering because of those kinds of actions it's not legitimate for christian people then to say oh i'm being persecuted i'm suffering for the name of jesus are you, are you, you understand that? You go and you pick it at a funeral of somebody who's died, and you're a Christian, you say, this is the judgment of God, and they turn around, and they're giving you some back, and then you turn around and say, oh, I'm just suffering because of Jesus. I'm just standing on the truth. Baloney. That's not what that is. It's not legitimate. 
And there's some folks like that who've got a martyr complex, so they'll do all those kinds of things, and they'll justify it, and they'll say, oh, I'm just suffering for Jesus, suffering as a Christian. No, Peter says, not all suffering is part of the will of God. Sometimes you can bring it on yourself for the wrong kinds of actions. The Bible calls on Christians to do the opposite. The Bible calls on Christians to live as good citizens in non-Christian cultures. Look back at 1 Peter chapter 2. Look what Peter says in this very same context. He says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Peter tells them to submit themselves for the Lord's sake. And for so is the will of God, that with well-doing, living your life well as a Christian in a non-Christian culture, you can put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, in verse 17, just read on a little farther here. Verse 17, he says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. It's very consistent. Peter's being very consistent in his teaching regarding how people, Christian people ought to live in a non-Christian world. Paul says the same kinds of things in Romans 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Wherefore, because of that, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. The Bible calls on Christians to do their jobs, to live peaceable lives, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to exalt Him in this world. That's what the Bible calls on Christians to do. Attempting to impose Christian standards on a non-Christian culture or even attempting to impose Christian-type standards in the workplace is folly, friend. To change a culture, it's got to be one to Jesus Christ. Being persecuted or being prosecuted by the government because of troublesome agitation or receiving discipline by an employer for disruptive-type activity is not necessarily suffering for the right reasons. One cannot say, I'm suffering for Jesus, and it be honorable as a Christian. Not in that context. That being said, let me just balance that all out with this. There are, and there can be, some legitimate, valid, peaceful efforts and movements that are good and worthy for the good of society. However, that still needs to be done with scriptural discernment. Always. 
But not all suffering or persecution is because of the will of God. If we suffer reproach, it better be because we stand with and accurately represent Jesus Christ. That's what the next verse says in our text, in verse 16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. If one legitimately suffers because of their faith in Christ or preaching the gospel like Stephen, in that God is glorified. And so we need to understand that in order to keep the right perspective about it, we've got to evaluate it. What am I actually suffering for? Is it because of something I brought on myself that's actually not really suffering for Christ? Or am I experiencing this because of my faith in Christ and my stand on Bible principles and my desire to honor and obey God over men? There is a difference. And so we need to have that discernment about it. The fourth and the final element that helps us deal well with suffering when it comes is to ultimately trust God in it. Verse 19, Wherefore, because of all of this, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Peter concludes the matter of suffering here when he says, Wherefore, because of all these principles I've taught you, if you're going to suffer and you end up suffering according to the will of God, what you can do is commit the keeping of your soul to Him. Why? Because He's a faithful Creator. If it's part of God's plan and part of God's will, there's also God's way in it and God will provide. The thought is, if we must suffer, make sure it's for the will of God. And that being established, we can then commit the keeping of our soul to Him. The word commit means to entrust. I can entrust my soul to the Lord, come what may. Whatever happens physically, whatever may not happen physically, ultimately I can trust my soul to the Lord. In this case, we trust the keeping of our soul to the Lord. As God's people face suffering or persecution, we are instructed to place that into the Lord's hand in well-doing. Notice that phrase. Wherefore, let him that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing. It has the sense of doing right. As persecution and suffering arises, God's word instructs us to endure the same by doing right and having the right attitude concerning it. God's people need to remember that so entrusting themselves to the Lord, we are doing that as unto a faithful creator. That's a powerful thought. God never makes mistakes. God never makes mistakes, and God has never said whoops. Nothing's ever taken Him by surprise. He is a faithful creator. Not only did He create us, but He's also faithful to us. And whatever happens in our life, listen, we can trust our sovereign God that it is part of His good pleasure for His glory and my good. 
He's a faithful creator. John Newton was the author of the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton watched cancer slowly and painfully kill his wife over a period of many months. And in recounting those days, John Newton said this. He said, I believe it was about two or three months before her death when I was walking up and down the room offering disjointed prayers from a heart that was very torn with distress. And a thought suddenly struck me with unusual force to this effect. The promises of God, they must be true. And if the promises of God are true, surely the Lord will help me if I'm willing to be helped. It occurred to me that we are often led from an undue regard of our own feelings to indulge that unprofitable grief, which, both, which is both our duty and our peace, requires us to resist to the utmost of our power. And I instantly said aloud, Lord, I'm helpless indeed in myself, but I hope I am willing without reserve that thou shouldest help me. In the hour of his grief, in the hour of his suffering, his thought was, the promises of God, they have to be true. And if they are true, then whatever I'm going through, God's going to help me through it. And if, I am, if I'm experiencing so much distress, and if I'm so, if I'm so out of sorts because of the, the trial or the problem, it's, it, it's because I have undue regard for my own feelings rather than trusting the Lord in the middle of it. And he says, we're led from an undue regard of our own feelings to indulge the unprofitable grief, which both our duty and our peace require us to resist with our utmost power. You understand what he's saying there? For the sake of your own peace, for the sake of your own peace of mind, uh, you, you indulge that, that, that unprofitable grief when there's no reason to dwell on the grief when we can trust the Lord in the middle of it. I'm helpless indeed in myself, but I'm willing if thou shouldest help me. Psalm 46 in verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. How often we miss that present help. Psalm 62, 7, in God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Praise the Lord. Not only has he created us, but he's also faithful to us in the meantime. We can therefore entrust ourselves to him for the keeping of our soul. He will not fail his own. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's pretty powerful, helpful truth. And again, sometimes Christians are like, 
poor photographs, remember that? We're overexposed but underdeveloped. We've got a lot of exposure to the Word of God, but because we don't apply it, we haven't developed into maturity like we should. Don't fail in this. These are truths that are, these are truths from God's Word that are timeless, friend. Don't fail in this because, well, we haven't experienced any kind of suffering. We better be prepared. It's not going to get better for Christian people in this world. But I'm simply saying we have all the resources that we need. We can trust God through it all. Amen? There's a lot of good that can come through suffering. Through it, we're purified. We're made into the image of Christ. He glorifies Himself in our life, which, which we, what we read in verse 13. Rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure what tomorrow or next year is going to bring for Christian people in America. We may face some sort of persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. I think there's some pretty interesting things that are happening in Canada right now to pastors and churches for standing for Christ, for obeying the Word of God. We're very naive if we think that that's not going to come here. Just do a little looking. It's not stuff the media is really covering very, very much at all. We might. But the question is, how are we going to handle it if that's what the Lord chooses to allow us to walk through? You may face some on your job for being different or being set apart for Christ. Are you willing? Persecution, suffering can actually be a blessing when we understand what it's all about and an opportunity to glorify God. He's given us all the resources we need. Ultimately, what we need to do is just trust Him. Amen? Let the Word of God and the truths of God impact your heart, your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your Word. and pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be doers of it not hearers only, Lord, to be equipped, full of the Word of God, applying it, and understand that we have a faithful Creator, that, Lord, You, in Your sovereignty, know all things, that You do all things well, and that if You choose to allow us to walk through trial, fiery trial, Lord, we can know and understand that it's not arbitrary. It's not meaningless. It's not some foreign thing. And that's why Peter says to, don't be surprised and full of confusion. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. No, we can know that it's part of your plan when it's for the right reasons. But then that also you will equip and enable us to walk through with dignity and glorify the Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have our faith firmly fixed in you. 
Lord, to be determined that we're going to trust you, to follow you wherever you lead, to stay close to you, Lord, to be able to experience the glory that comes for the child of God who faithfully accepts the road that the Lord chooses for him to walk. Lord, I pray that you bless your people, encourage your people. Thank you for the day we've had together. In Jesus' name, amen.